Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now it's time for my bad impression of the great Casey Kasem. Hey, everybody. So, wow. Here's Stark Monkey number three. Did I say Stark Monkey? Third one in, and I don't even really know how to pronounce the name of my own podcast. Here is Snark Monkey number three. Uh, an episode very close to my heart. Uh, one, because uh, Carrie Kasem I've known for a while now, and she's just uh, a really cool lady. But mostly because her father, Casey Kasem, was somebody that has been in my life and career, and I am not alone. I mean, can't millions of people say that in some form or another, Casey Kasem was in their lives? Grew up with him, listened every week. Musicians, politicians... News anchors. I mean, how many people don't know who Casey Kasem is? Is he one of the most recognizable names and voices in the history of media? I mean, it's got to be, right? American Top 40 and the cartoons that he did and the, the TV shows that he hosted and the Muscular Dystrophy Telethon. A quick story. I go full circle with Casey in a way that is kind of unusual. What's not unusual is that my very first job in radio, I was 15 years old. The story behind how I got the job at 15 is is convoluted and weird. But one of those kind of small town things, I basically knew a person who knew a person, got to go in and apply, laid some tape down in a studio, pre- pretending to be what a, I thought a disc jockey sounded like, was told that I uh, was terrible. <laughs> but somehow I got the job anyway. But the job, as most first jobs in radio are, had nothing to do with being on the air. It had to do with keeping stuff on the air. Uh, My job every Sunday at KOZA AM Radio in Odessa, Texas, was to run Casey Kasem's American Top 40 every Sunday evening from 6 to 10. And then there were a couple hours of other syndicated and local programming that were on tape. And then uh, literally on Sunday evening, I would go and shut down the transmitter at midnight because for some reason on Sundays... They just went off the air until like 5.30 the next morning. (laughs) Ah, the days. So yeah, Casey Kasem was my first job. And one of my first nightmare radio stories. Uh, I had been there a while, was running Casey's show. And and this was when, you know, this was in the uh, late 70s. I was 15 years old, my first radio job. I am... Literally the only person in the in the radio station. Some for some reason they would leave the controls in the hands of a fifteen slash sixteen year old, you know, youngster, ne'er do well thug. Uh, it's me and the cleaning lady on a Sunday night, uh, and it was uh, the Casey show was on. It was on vinyl discs at the time. You would run them on these cheap little records that you couldn't play more than a couple of times because they'd start to deteriorate like the moment you touched them. And um, and also, it seemed like there were maybe only two or three songs before they'd go into a commercial break. There were like four commercial breaks an hour. So you couldn't kind of sit and you couldn't go off and wander around because you were having to 
kind of run commercials and change the flip the discs over. And more than a few times, I would mess that up. And you would hear, we'll be right back with song number 16. And then you'd come back and it was song number four. And I would have totally put the wrong disc on. That's, I'm shocked I didn't get fired. But one night, I hit a stretch. I put on Casey's segment. I get it rolling. Start the record up. And I'm like, great. Three songs in a row. I got a good nine minutes. I got to go to the bathroom. I have to take care of business. The kind of business that will take a little longer than just a song, if you know what I'm saying. So I'm in the bathroom, and I'm taking care of my business. It's coming along nicely, but I'm, you know, I'm going to take my time because I know I got three songs in case he's going to probably do a long-distance dedication. We, we're good, right? Until a banging comes on the door. It is the cleaning lady. And this is in Texas, so thus the accent. Boom, 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 boom. The record stopped. The record stopped. Okay. So, I am in mid-business. I have to, as quickly as I can, shut down the operation that is currently going on, rush into the studio, where it turns out the cleaning lady decided to take the opportunity of the empty studio to go in and tidy up. And in the midst of wiping down or dusting the tiny little uh, red button that stops the turntable was obviously hit. So what was likely heard on the air was, I'm Casey Kasem, coming up next. And since I didn't really know that at the time, I'm looking around going, why is the turntable not going? And so I pushed the green button. So you hear, up next, it's going to be, oh, that hurt. And then I had to go back and, you know, finish my business. But that's, that's, anyway, Flash forward, I go to college, I'm still working in radio, I end up at a company called Premier Radio Networks, now known as Premier Networks, part of the iHeart Media conglomeration. I'm working as a vice president of programming, taking on a bunch of different stuff. We we take on a bunch of new shows because uh, the company has absorbed other companies or bought other companies or just outright taken over other companies. And one of those companies produced American Top 40, which at the time was hosted by Casey Kasem. And then the next thing you know, I am working with him, talking to him, seeing him uh, every week when he comes in to record the show and uh, get to know him a little bit. And he's amazing. And his work ethic is tremendous. And he still has, as far as I can tell, the same passion for the job as he always has. Uh, He is not the brash, screaming guy that you hear in that well-known snuggles the dog rant that has proliferated the internet due largely thanks to Howard Stern. <laughs> um, that may have been him at one time. The kindest, most generous, loyal to his people, and passionate about what he was doing, no matter at what age. Um, so yeah, when Casey passed away, so many people felt that loss. He was a voice from their childhood. He was a, a, a voice from their past. He was somebody that you could count on. He was somebody that, you know, when you connect that kind of voice and that kind of presence to music that you loved, then, yeah, you're going you're gonna to feel a loss. And plus, being the Saturday morning cartoon guy, I mean, he was shaggy, for crying out loud. He was shaggy. 
Zoinks! So it is a real pleasure to talk to Carrie Kasem, who has carved out quite a nice career on her own, and we talk about that a little bit, but of course I have to ask her about her dad, and of course, because of the high-profile, tabloidy nature of some of the stuff that um, she went through while her dad was being yanked around all over the country by his wife, Jean, and the just ridiculous drama that surrounded that before his death and the efforts that she's making now to help people avoid. I mean, she's basically, uh, based upon all the stuff she had to go through to get the opportunity for her her family, her brothers and her brother and sisters, to even get to see their father before he passed on, has given her a new goal in life and a new a new focus, a new direction. And you can find out more about that. We talk about it in the podcast, but at CasemCaresFoundation.org and basically supporting visitation rights of adult children. And there's a lot of stuff about that that you don't realize how difficult that is until you have to go through it and how impossible it is to be able to make those kind of changes late in someone's life if they have somebody blocking your way. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about her memories of Casey. And um, I appreciate you letting me indulge in my own little personal story there. So uh, here's to Casey. And here is Snark Monkey number three with Carrie Kasem. He was always... Um, <laughs> That's good timing. That is perfect timing. Yes. I'm sitting um, here with Carrie Kasem, and her father's face appears on a screen just to our right, and that's an interesting way to get started here. That's Dad saying hi. Yeah. Do you find that happening a lot? Because you and I had a conversation. I, you very graciously invited me to attend the memorial service uh, after your father passed, yes. and there was a moment, and you and I shared this, because somebody had, ju- I think it was your sister or someone or you, had just talked about how your father came to believe in reincarnation. Yeah. Very strongly. Very. And I think it was very shortly after that, this kind of, I don't even know what it was, but it, it was a large black bird of yeah, some sort. Yeah, it's, um, what are they, it's not a crow, it's what, the bigger Was it a one. raven? Or? A, raven, I guess that's what they call it. Yeah, and, and the whole service, this was in a lovely church up in the hills, and... The whole service, this hadn't happened. Mm-mm. It wasn't like there were birds flying around. Mm-mm. This lone black bird flew up to a perch just above the altar where all the congregation could see. It was like see. a round window, and right. he flew up right in the middle of the round window. Right, and just, and just perched in. there. And looked in and kind of, like he looked in, checked things out, mm-hmm. went, yeah, cool, and then flew away. And that was it. Yeah. And you saw that when that happened. There were a lot of people that did, yeah. and, you know, but... You were the first person to bring that up to me. And then other people said, did you see the bird? Yeah. yeah. Well, if it hadn't just kind of sent this kind of like awesome chill through me, not not kind of morbid or strange right, chill, right. but this kind of, 
oh my God, if you believe in that sort of thing, then you need to believe that that was him checking in on things. Yeah. You know, I don't know if he came back as a crow right away. I think he's still up there trying to figure out what he wants to do. Really? But um, I think he definitely, I think you can, I believe that you can see through, you know, you can come down, see through animals' eyes or whatever it may be. I mean, Indians thought that you could embody, you know, the wolf or you can embody. I mean, I don't know if he believed that at all. I just know that he believed in reincarnation because he was Druze, D-R-U-Z-E. People go, what's Druze? It's kind of like uh, Buddhism. So he, since we were young, he believed in that. Let's go back to when you were young, and because you have, you have developed over the last, even really just over the last couple of months, I get the sense that you've developed a new kind of life's purpose out of the result of some of the stuff you went through. Um, but you've you've been a working media professional for a while on your own, uh, despite the fact that you have had to work. Maybe in the shadow, I guess. I don't know if you'd refer to it as that. But you've got this famous name. And let's talk about you growing up. Where, where did you grow up? Right here? Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was already established. He was already doing his thing here. He was. He was 40 when he had me. So we were exactly 40 years apart. And, uh, you know, I grew up here. But I don't, I don't want to say I was in the shadow. It's funny. The last show I did, um, Sixth Sense, most people had no idea. Dia, my father was Casey Kasem. I, I had a great following. I had, you know, we had 4 million listeners a week. I was on for four and a half years. I had this great social media. And then when my dad, when all this stuff happened, happened with my dad, we got, oh my gosh, I didn't know your, who your dad was. They had never made well, that connection. No, so many people hadn't made that connection. They just knew me as you know, the girl on the radio, the girl on Sixth Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was neat for and, me. Well, and what's cool about that is that you were talking to a relatively young audience, but still people knew Casey Kasem. They, they knew who my dad was. Yeah. They just didn't put us, you know, two together in any way. Well, that just shows that you did establish yourself as somebody who could, you know, be on their own. You never necessarily had to use that name to right. accomplish what you did. When did you first begin to realize that he was some? <laughs> and now there's that's Nikki. real weird. <laughs> my show just came up and it's my picture. Still. It's still you. It's that's Nikki all. Six and you standing and there looking at yourself. Yeah, I can funny. turn that screen off if you no, want. No, we're fine. I have Nikki looking at me. My dad's looking at me. I'm looking at me. Yeah, you're, you're being looked at constantly. It's, it's a, a huge TV that just runs all the pictures of the shows that they come uh, out of the studio. There's my dad. Yeah, and there dad. he is again. There we go. When, when, when did you first become aware of the fact that he was kind of a famous person? How Did you get that right away? Did you hear no, him on I the mean, radio? It, yeah, yeah, I knew that you know he had done things and he was famous. But uh, when it really hit me is when he came to my school, elementary school, and he came and he talked about how cartoons were made, and he gave everybody a flip book. And then he did his voices, and people freaked out that he was shaggy. I mean, the kids just went crazy. Do shaggy, do shaggy. And he would always do shaggy. In fact, um, even when he would speak at colleges or any time he'd speak, it wasn't the fact that he created this huge, um, I just, I mean, the countdown was massive. You know, it was American top 40. People thought that was cool. But the minute he did shaggy, it was a standing ovation, you know? (laughs) So... Well, it's it's one thing to be part of a kind of an international sensation, but it's another thing to be part of two or more. I mean, recognizable as two distinctly different things. Yeah. Because again, in terms of those kind of making connections, as kids, 
those of us, I mean, I grew up watching Scooby-Doo when it was new. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time for me to make the connection that those were, the, although the moment I made the connection, I was like, well, of course that's him. And then I made, then I started to hear your dad's voice on practically every other cartoon on Saturday morning. It's straight at 350 cartoons. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Yeah. I remember one that didn't last very long at all, but Hot Wheels. I very early, he because he I, did Hot Wheels. He did Hot Wheels. So funny! I didn't I, even know. That. I remember that because I at that point I began to recognize it, and also I had like a thousand Hot Wheels. Yeah. <laughs> I think I still have them in the garage somewhere. Do you remember Battle of the Planets? I it was this barely. like Japanese kind of anime thing. It was one of my favorites. He played Mark. He was on Josie and the Pussycats. Right. He was on Transformers. He, I mean, he, the one thing we're like, Dad, why don't you get on the Smurfs? I remember that. I'm like, why aren't you on the Smurfs? Oh, you're ta- you're making requests at yeah, some point. Yeah, it was funny. So what was your relationship like with him as a, as a kid? Very close. Yeah? I mean, we were very, very, very close. As he busy was, as he was, he made family time? Even though my mom divorced him. He didn't divorce my mom. My mom divorced him. Uh, I feel as though he raised me. I feel as though all my ethics and work ethics come from him work ethic, excuse me, comes from him. I am who I am today because of my dad. It's not that I don't love my mom. I do. And she was a wonderful mom. And we had so much fun. And she was like the fun mom, the easygoing mom. But the one who we I looked up to and wanted to be like was my dad. Was he hard on you at the very, same time because very, of that? Very hard and, on us. And as a, as a young girl in L.A. Um, and, and relatively well-to-do, I would guess. I mean, Casey made really good money, so you didn't ever want for anything, but he made you work? Oh, no, no, no. I love how when people think that, you know? <laughs> Look, we had a great lifestyle. Well, I'm not saying we weren't, you know, we had money, but if we wanted things that were extra, or if I wanted, you know, a car, work for it. Oh, you want that? Go get a job. So, I, mean, I mean, I didn't get a car until, the only, the only reason I got a car is to drive myself to college. So my dad, when I was 19 years old, Got me a car so I could drive to college. That 19? was it. 19. Yeah, I was in Beverly Hills where everybody was getting their cars <laughs> at 15, 16, which were, I'm telling you, BMWs. And like the, if you looked at the, in, at the Beverly Hills High School, when you looked at the parking lot, all the nice cars belonged to the students. <laughs> Not the teachers. But I, I got out of there. I hated Beverly Hills. I hated it. But, how, but that ethic in that environment, how do you think that... I mean, obviously, it stayed with you. It resonated with you. You still talk about it. But you saw other kids who didn't have that ethic, who, who, no, didn't, I, I, right. who, got, who got everything they want. Right. And let me say something. I hated Beverly High, not necessarily Beverly Hills. There's, right. there's some really wonderful things about Beverly Hills. In fact, I have my store there. But no, I hated Beverly High more than anything. Why? It was so... Was it that culture? Yes. And you know, like the mean girl thing? And it's that's real. You know, can we hang out with you? No. You, you know, you're not, you can't, I mean, I literally had a best friend growing up. She was my neighbor, Miriam. And I remember when we went, we ended up at Beverly and she had her clique of girls. I'm like, well, can I hang out with you? And she's like, no, I don't think that's such a good idea. Like that stuff, you know, and I'm sure it happens everywhere, but I hated Beverly High more than anything. I got out of there after six months. So I went to school on and off in Beverly Hills and I got the hell out of there. But, um, where'd you go? I went to nine different schools. In high school? No, or, all through my, my, my school career. Well, I still, that's a lot. School. Yeah. You should, you should pretty much, unless you move, you should have three. We moved. We moved a lot. <laughs> Did and you? Yeah, we went back and forth from the valley to Beverly Hills Valley, Beverly Hills Valley, and then I stuck in the valley. And I, I eventually, for the last three years of my high school career, I was put in um, boarding school. And for a year of my, um, in sixth or seventh grade, I was in boarding school again, which actually, I was very happy. Really? Very happy to go to boarding school, yeah. 
What really? Because hmm. that can be traumatic for people being pulled out of kind of a day-to-day environment. Where were you? No, I wouldn't have finished high school. I was an angry kid. Yeah. I was not a very happy kid. Was now remember, it... I'm dealing with at this time my father's wife as well, who did everything she could to drive a wedge in between me and my dad, who did everything she could to hurt my mom, who did everything in her power to put out bad stuff about us. So I'm dealing with that as a kid, not understanding why this woman hates me well, so Well, let much. me take a step back. Were you, how how bad was the divorce, first of all, between your mom? Horrible. Was it bad? Mm-hmm. And did you, now I come from, I'm a child of divorce. I think most of us are yeah, these days, yeah. uh, you know. Um, I was really happy when my parents split up. I knew they didn't belong together. Was it a shock to you, or did you know that that was probably a good I thing? I didn't cry when they said that they were getting a divorce. I remember exactly where it was. Okay. I remember where we were. I remember everything. My brother and sister started crying, and they held them on their laps, and I just stood there. And I was like, thank God. Yeah. And I remember that, being yeah. what, seven, seven years old. I remember saying, thank God, because it was constant fighting. Yeah, as kids, they, I, think they, I don't think they give us enough credit to realize that we're miserable when they're miserable. Right. Yeah. And it was hard. Even if they but, think they're hiding it. Yeah. And I love them both so sure. much, but it was very hard. And then the next um, 15 years was awful. Yeah. Uh, but then they became friends again. So it became awful, though, because of the new wife. I think it definitely has something to do with it. But my mom and my dad were not nice to each other and they weren't yeah. good to each other. And I'm sure, you know, that even without his wife, it would have been contentious. But so were you, you, you lost that parenting. I mean, you had Casey who was, as you said, somewhat strict, but gave you a good work ethic. No, no, very strict. Very strict. Very strict. Very, very strict. Yeah, he was very, very strict. Yeah. And And you lost that. No, I didn't. No? That's what people think. No, because we still lived with him Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we were with my mom. So every weekend, and he taught, I'm telling you. Every single day he would call us and make sure our homework was done, make sure things, you know, and he would drive over. So it wasn't like we lost it. We still had him parenting us. And he, there was a time I was not doing well in school. It was, I think, second or third grade. And even with his busy, busy schedule, he made it a point that every day during recess or lunch, he was at school checking that I had turned my homework in. Seriously. Which embarrassed the hell out of me. Yeah, I remember saying, Dad, you know, like, but I wasn't doing well. So every day, every single day, he showed up to make sure I turned my, my homework in. So as a young woman, it's inevitable that you want to rebel against that at some point. So it was... Yeah, so I did, and then they threw me in a <laughs> the, boarding school. So that's where boarding yeah. school comes from. Yeah, yeah, I was not a happy camper. I was like, you know... I was uh, sneaking out of the house, pushing my mom's car out of the driveway, getting in it, driving down the Sunset Strip, trying to get into the clubs to watch all the, you know, hair metal bands. And I... You I were that girl. Yes. Yeah. I, I was hitchhiking. I was terrible. I mean, I was not into drugs. I wasn't drinking. Nothing like that. But I was, you know, throwing parties at my mom's house when she'd leave. I, I was not good. So... <laughs> was part of this trying to kind of create an identity? Did you want to be represented as something did you want to be I was a... so unhappy yeah. I don't know I was just extremely unhappy I was very angry I didn't get along with my brothers and sisters I was a different person when I was around my dad you know we had a different code of ethics when we were around my dad it was just it'd be very good and you know there was never a swear word that came from our mouths we were always very um proper he was very strict with us and I'm very glad because without that I wouldn't you know I wouldn't have had anything to kind of fall back on and say, this is who I should be. This is who I want to be. I want to be like my dad. And he was very, I mean, he was very honest. He was very honorable. He, his word meant everything to him. 
So when did the anger subside to the extent that you started to realize I need to be that other type of person? It took me a long time. It took me a very long time and a lot of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of therapy because I was so angry with my dad for marrying somebody who hated his family. So it was that marriage that you were directing most of your resentment. A lot of it. A lot of it. You know, not all of it, but a lot of it. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's like my dad who loves us so much marries somebody who hates us. Do you know why that hatred was there? Why that wedge had to be driven in? Have you been able to figure that out? My only guess and the only thing I can think of, and this is my opinion strictly, not a doctor's, is she has severe mental illness. That is the only thing I can think of because I don't understand. Well, just watching the behavior of the recent past, I think that is the armchair analysis of almost any coherent person watching the way things went. Yeah, but I don't want her to be deemed, you know, mentally incompetent. Right. Because then she can't take any uh, responsibility responsibility for her actions. Right. And what she has done to my father and the torture that she put him through the last year of his life. Now, I'm not... She tortured him through their marriage, but the last year of his life, ripping him away from anybody who loved him, not allowing any of his friends to see him, not allowing any his brother or his aunts, or not allowing his kids to see him. When he specifically told a judge and a doctor, I want to see my children, and they couldn't. And this is why I'm working so hard in getting a law passed that allows a judge to rule on just visitation. Because at this point, you have to have a conservatorship slash guardianship or a durable power of attorney, which will cost you $100,000 yeah. at the very minimum. It's it's expensive, and it's a bunch of hoops to it's, have to jump through to be a family member to see your own relative. Most people don't want to take conservatorship over somebody. They just want visitation. Yeah, That's yeah. all we wanted want was to, to see our dad. want to time and some closure and some bonding. But he knew she was going to do this. Now, is this, as, as extreme as this behavior was and as horrifying as the story got to be once we heard details, was this, is this behavior consistent with what you saw as a kid? Yeah, because she did this to her own mother. She took her, when her mother got sick enough, she put her in the condo, she put my dad in, and wasn't, nobody was allowed to talk to her, there was no phone calls, she has eight siblings, nobody was allowed to talk to her. I don't even think they knew when she died or where she's buried. There was no funeral. So they're very resentful, too, of, of you know, their, of Jean, her own family is. So that's why when I went, you know, and I needed help from Jean's family, because this BS about Norway, and Jean's family are the people that called me and said, Jean is planning to take him out of the country or on an Indian reservation so you can't get to him. They called us. And then she's laughing like, oh, Indian reservation. I would never do that. No, we have the reservation. We have the, we know that you were there. We have the paperwork. She, when she goes to court, she's going to be so done. And I shouldn't, I mean, there's certain things I can talk about, things I, but this was in the news. She's so, people have literally called us and said, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Subpoena me, I'll testify. So all this you know, so she's outright lied, denied about everything. everything. She she said, "Oh, my husband wanted to be in Norway." Wrote this whole letter to Norway that her and her daughter signed, saying that you know he always found it peaceful, and that all this BS. Right? Sent it to Norway. So sends to my dad's body in Norway. My dad's never been there. Never ever talked to Norway about us. She claims she's Norwegian. So I called up her family. Are you Norwegian? There's no Norwegian blood in them. They've never been to Norway. She they have no idea what she's talking about. This is and the conjecture was that. The extradition laws there are, right. are There's such no, that... no, no, that's not true. No? No, we, okay. we can get him back. But all this BS, and then she hires a PI to talk to my, you know, the detective that has been working on this case, Hi, and the detective goes in to see my detective, 
her PI goes in to see my detective and said, you know that that they they killed him for this and this and this and that they're doing this. And so my detective comes back with everything that he didn't know about. And he's like, oh, <laughs> with his mouth open. This I had is, no this idea. This is the one she hired. This yeah, is this is the one, one she hired. hired. And then he goes back with, uh, well, Gene just wants to keep the kids away from him because, and my detective goes, what? They're going to dig him up. Why, why would she bring him to Norwood? Well, she wants the kids away from him. So she's claiming my dad wants to be buried there, yet telling her PI that she's keeping us away from him, and that's why he's in Norway. Right. So all this stuff, we can subpoena him now. She just can't tell the truth. It's nonstop. It's lie after lie after lie. And we'll, we'll you know, eventually when we and get to, to court. what end, other than just saying she won? I mean, what, what really... And, uh, well, before we both get riled up more, I let's know. let's go back I, I, a little bit. Yeah. We got so much we want to cover here, but I I also want to kind of understand where this kind of came from came in you because at one point you decided you not necessarily wanted to follow in his footsteps, but you started to direct yourself toward being in the media. You wanted you you wanted to be on TV or you wanted to be in radio. Where was it that that little switch flipped and you went, ah, this is something I could do? Oh, I've been in in from elementary school to grade school is always doing I wanted to be a musical theater that's what I wanted you wanted to, do. to be an actress a I wanted singer. to do musical theater yeah. that was it that what, was it what for shows me. did you do oh I mean All name it I've done so many of them from right. Wizard of Oz little, little no uh, I mean, my first I'm trying to think of my first big role um <laughs> was a Bye Bye Birdie I played Kim Oh, great. And we did a chorus line. I did nine. I did, you know, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Uh, you know, we did um, part of the part of what I did was be kind of in a chorus, but it wasn't really. It was like we would do just songs from different, like from Miss Saigon or from uh, like Les showcase. Mis. Or, yeah. yeah, like Phantom. And that's what I wanted to do. And I went to school for really? it. Yeah. So. I wanted to do musical theater, but then, you know, I'm in school where I'm acting, I'm singing and dancing and, and, and then I, I get, you know, an agent and I'm starting, starting to go out for certain things. I get a, a, a horrible B film. I don't want to say horrible. I'm not going to say what it is now, but it was awful. Oh my God. I look at it. And I'm like, Oh God, I can't believe I did that. Carrie, we can all look oh, on IMDB no. right now and figure out well, what it is. Well, then you can. But um, <laughs> no, so I got TV shows. I, I started working and I'm like, I kind of left the singing kind of by the wayside I left that and I started acting and then I wasn't enjoying it I wasn't enjoying the acting and when I got a chance to do uh hosting I went I moved to Singapore and I became an MTV VJ right in 96 how, how long did you do that um for a year yeah I, I went I was all over Southeast Asia it was amazing was I had it huge incredible there? time what? it was it was getting big yeah. it was getting big because my brother was the first MTV uh, Asia like VJ out there right so he was there for four this years this is Mike he was he was out there for a while Mike was out there for a while and then I joined him a couple of years later and we just we had a blast it yeah. was so much fun and I that was the first time I did radio I did radio and then that was it you know, I before that I did go to radio radio school. I went to radio school for a year. Broadcast school. Yeah, and I learned how to do like everything was analog, and now everything is not analog. So I'm learning to splice and dice and put. <laughs> so you were cutting tape with cutting razor tape blades with and... razor blades and putting it together, <laughs> creating my own commercials. I mean, it was fun. I had a good time, but I I learned how to run a board. I was just you know, I, radio was fun, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to play music. Yeah, I wanted to talk. I wanted to give my opinion. I was very opinionated, and I like to argue with people. So, um, <laughs> where did that come from? Who gave that to you? Yeah, I don't know. My dad was always very passionate and very, but it's probably my mom. <laughs> that was probably my mom. 
Might have been a combo deal on Maybe that Maybe a one. combo deal. So it's funny because I ended up doing, you know, I started Radio 96 and 97 kind of because it was, I think, 97 when I got into it. And then I I went on to pitch a radio show, 97.1, the FM talk station. I can't right. believe they put me on with two girls that never done radio. We started overnights. And it got bigger. We were on for two and a half years. We were, you know, we then did Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And and then I said, okay, I want to do something more. And I moved on to political talk radio. Right. So I did a morning show in Las Vegas, Nevada. And this is where my mom comes in because she's a staunch Republican. My dad, a bleeding heart liberal. And so I'm right down the middle here. And I'm on <laughs> this conservative talk radio. You know, I'm up at 3 a.m. every morning and I'm doing this. And like after a year, I'm like, you know... <laughs> This isn't what I want to do. Were people in Vegas responding to that? I'd say I have I have trouble wrapping my head around Vegas as a place to live because you you know the Strip and then yeah no, uh, no yeah, I never went to the Strip I live there I never went to the yeah, Strip yeah I no. mean it's, it is a city it has yeah. its, I mean it's a suburban it's a sprawling suburban area yeah. did you get a response did you did people like what you did yeah actually we we did very well actually in the ratings we did pretty well I just there were certain things I didn't want and it wasn't just I loved my co-host Alan Stock was amazing we get along we still see each other all the time I was just stayed at his house a few weeks ago he was great. It was the PD that we did not get along with. Just Nobody the, did. In fact, four women had been, had, they weren't fired. They left because of this one person. Yeah, and I didn't know that coming in. Yeah. So I was, I was the fifth girl that left. So it was not a fun place to work because of that per, one person. But the rest, I loved everybody there. I, it was, you know, I learned a lot. I, I got out of there and I, I had other, I had racing rocks with Ricky Rackman for seven years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that was amazing because I, he was the first guy on talk radio I ever listened to when I was going back and forth from Woodland Hills to uh, Huntington Beach, which is quite a drive, about an hour to two hours, depending on the traffic. Yeah, that's a whole. I listened to him on the drive there every single day. And then I ended up being his co-host. Same with Conway, um, Tim Conway Jr. Right. And Steckler. I remember listening to them constantly going, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And then I ended up being Tim Conway's um, fill-in girl for years and years and years. And we actually, for a couple months, were on the radio together when his partner had to deal with stuff. So it was, I, I just loved talk radio. And then I got Sixth Sense. Yeah, this is was yeah. this your syndicated, uh, your time when the syndicated show, Sixth Sense with Nikki Six yeah. and Molly Crew. And that was going very well. And actually, that brings us up to when kind of the whole tabloid side of your father's story started to come out. But this had been going on a little before we started to hear about it. I mean, what the first story I remember hearing and seeing was the protest outside the house. Yeah. That was kind of the big story. The and honestly, and a, even people who kind of knew you, because I've, I've known you for a little while, but, you know, don't talk all the time, didn't talk all the time. I had no idea that was going on. I yeah, had no most idea. Most people didn't. Most people didn't. And, and that was the point, right? Was to just kind of let the world know that it's it's not just a family thing anymore. It's 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 something illegal, basically. Right. It's everyone. Yeah. She has she has it's elder abuse. It's isolation. Right. And she we knew that she wasn't getting him. Um, oh, there's my friend Bill May. He's coming up. <laughs> oh, Bill. This is somebody I love. This is somebody I yeah. I missed. He just blew me off. Yeah, he did. <laughs> That's somebody I missed dearly when I left here. Um, but yeah, going back to that, I it was she had isolated him from everything, ripped his phones out of the out of his room. He couldn't get up. He couldn't talk. He 
was unable at that point to do anything about what she had done. She had completely isolated. And when you have... At that point, what was the how long had it been since you had actually seen your three father? Three months. And that had never happened. We saw her dad every week. Okay. Every that, Because that week. was, a, an, again, typically in these stories come out, the negative side is like, oh, well, when was the last time his kids actually had gone to see him? Of course. Him? Oh, he, and, and she put that out there. Yeah. She said they were estranged. That that my that my dad backed off of um you know seeing us because he didn't like you know things we were involved in like she just put this crap out in the media. But you had been seeing him every single week. Yeah. Every week we have pictures to prove it. You yeah. know. Oh, she they had you know they come back in when they want the money. What are you talking about? Yeah. This is our father. This is somebody who we you know love and adore and are scared for because we know what you did to your own mother. So she's putting out these lies. The media is feeding into it. We're like, wait a second. What are you talking about? Yeah. We, Dad knew this was going to happen. He signed behind your back, Gene, a 2000 in, in 2007 when he was completely coherent, a durable power to me, my sister, and brother. So we had some legal recourse to see him when he got sick enough because we knew you were going to do this. And what? when we pulled that out, she freaked out. And then she said, we forged it. We knew that she... No, 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 no. We knew she was going to say we forged yeah, it. Yeah, The entire thing is on tape. Did Casey recognize what was wrong with that relationship at any point? Yeah, he didn't. And that's too personal. So I okay. don't want to go into I, that. But I, yes, of course. I just, did. I at least want to ask that question. Because yes. I have such respect for him. Yes. And you know that. Yeah. And I think of him as such a, an intelligent... But I also see him as a fiercely loyal person he and was I feel like that can play into something like that and we don't need to analyze that if that's too personal but there is something that says he's the kind of guy that that wasn't necessarily going to ever try and throw anybody in under the bus no matter what right yeah am i close there yeah to his detriment yep yeah okay. so so um <sighs> but he knew he wasn't an idiot yeah um he knew and and obviously that's why he did that i mean he did try and protect himself and he tried to pre- protect he tried to you protect guys us. well ahead yeah, he tried. of any of this happening he did. yeah he knew what what she was it, it, he knew it what we were dealing with it this was not and that's why he signed it you know that's why on videotape he's saying exactly what he's doing and why so when when she's telling everybody we forged these papers telling everybody as well you know what we knew you'd do that mm. let's play this in court so we saw the story unfold it it was Amazing. And you and I were just talking about this before we got started, that when, I mean, you had, you did have a couple of, of small personal victories to the point where you actually got to be with him and you got yeah. to, to be in his presence and you got to say your goodbyes. We did. Um, do you feel like he, did you feel his presence there? Do you feel like he got to say goodbye in the way he wanted to? I know that he knew that he was surrounded by people who loved him. Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew. And I know that if he would have kept going the way he was going, he would have died alone. When we got all the medical records, when I got temporary conservatorship over my father, which is very, very hard to do, but because she made a stupid move uh, that eventually killed him, the doctors actually wrote a letter saying what she did could kill him. They wrote that. That's why I got conservatorship. When she did that, um, there's something else I was going to say that, that why that was so significant. Oh, when she did that, we got all the medical records from where he was staying and all the medical records from every hospital she ever put him in, all the medical records from the nursing homes, all the medical records from everywhere. 
and she had abandoned him so many times where she'd never gone to see him one time. So when we had the medical records from Berkeley East, he was there over three months, not one time was there a documented visit. Not one time did the nurse that was in charge of him ever see his wife. Not one time did the man who owned the place ever see her come and visit my dad. He was left alone there to die. She put him there so she didn't have to see him. She has a boyfriend. We have proof of the boyfriend. We have, you know, so we... And she just wanted to make sure you were blocked. That's right. From and ever ex- everyone. No, no, ev- not, not just, just his you. brother. Yes, because he had longtime friends who said the same thing, that they had been in communication for, you know, for 40 years. I mean, there were folks who got up and spoke at your memorial, um, at his memorial, who said that, uh, you know, we had been talking forever. And then, then suddenly he just disappeared That's from right. our life. That's right. So it was not just the family. No. It was everyone he knew. Everyone who loved him. Since that all happened, you've dedicated a lot of your time, a lot of your efforts. You've been in Sacramento. You've been in Washington. You've been talking to, I mean, you have really been working on this bill. So tell us kind of, I have two major questions. Let's first start with the legislation. How is that going? It's going very well. We have it in five states right now. So what it does is allow a judge to rule on just visitation. So let's say I go and I go to a judge and I say, hey, I'm being blocked from my dad. I used to see him every week and I talked to him every day and it's been months and, you know, I am being blocked. I and need right help now him. it's it's it's, to, it's specifically a spouse that has the power over that. No, any no? guardian. It any could be guardian. a brother. It could be a sister. Okay. It could be somebody just a friend. Anyone who has guardianship or conservatorship over that person. Okay. So it doesn't have to be a second wife. It doesn't. It could be. It could even be a mom. Anybody who's blocking that person from loved ones for no good reason. Right. So I would go to the judge and say, hey. Um, I'm being blocked. I think this is isolation. This is, you know, elder abuse or whatever. Just I want to see my my dad or I want to see my brother. I want to see my sister, whoever's being blocked from me. That judge would then, with this law, the visitation bill, be able to send a court-appointed attorney over to the ailing loved one and ask, do you want to see this person or that person? Or Yes. Well, okay, now we're going to make a visitation schedule. Do you want to see this person, that person, whoever? The person says, no, that's it. That's it. You don't get visitation. They said, no, they don't want to see you. If the person is incapacitated, then you, you know, you look at the child, uh, parent history, the sibling history, and you then, you know, she has the judge or he or she has the right to then rule on that. Right now, there's no ability to do that because there's, they can't adjudicate on that because there's no law allowing them to. So that is what the visitation bill and in California, it's AB 2034, is all about. It's that simple. It fills a hole in the law right now that we have that doesn't allow a judge to rule on just visitation. You have to have a conservatorship. You have to have a durable power. And it it doesn't make any sense. What kind of traction is that bill getting right now? Fantastic. Yeah. People hear me like on shows like this, and I get calls from assemblymen, senators, saying we want to take your bill on in this state. I, I did the Howard Stern show. I got a call from Pennsylvania. Brendan Boyle wants to possibly take it on. I got a call from Texas. Joe Moody, Assemblyman Joe Moody, is taking on my bill. Um, I'm working right now in Florida with you know with some people. We, we're not sure who we're going to go with, but we're we're looking right now that we have it with two um, assembly. Uh, people, Michelle Fiore and John Hambrick in Nevada. And of course, the first person to to see me on TV talking about this and knowing my plight was Mike Gatto. Mike Gatto said, I want to take, I want to take this bill on. And Mike Gatto, Assemblyman Mike Gatto has been, I mean, my champion. He's amazing. So is this the kind of thing that people can contact their own representatives if they're just, you know, average Joes like me and they hear this and they want to kind of 
be a part of this? This is the kind of thing they can write to their, yeah. Is there a place they can go? Is there more information somewhere? Um, yes, there is. It's KasemCaresFoundation.org. It's K-A-S-E-M CaresFoundation.org. KasemCaresFoundation.org. And um, in fact, another woman uh, heard me on Howard Stern. Or not, I'm sorry, no. She saw me writing everything on Facebook. She was a Facebook friend. And she said, hey, I want to get this bill started in Illinois. So I'm talking to Senator Andy Maynar or Minar, and she hooked me up. Little do I know that she's in politics over there. So just social media has been unbelievable for me. So now we have it, you know, in Chicago, I think, where, you know, we're waiting on a yes, a solid firm yes. But it's been unbelievable, the response, because it doesn't just happen to celebrity, you know, kids. It, it and, and it looks that way because the only time this issue goes out um, in the media or gets any attention is because it's, it's you know, uh, the Fox uh, or right. it's, um, you know, the Roonies, like, you know, or it's the Kasem. So Peter Fox kids, it's happened to them. Um, Mickey Rooney's kids, I'm friends with them, you know, and I know what they went through. And then us, but it's there's so many people that don't have famous last names that can't do anything that can't be heard right that don't have money to even try and start a conservatorship so i'm getting hundreds of letters saying okay i have to do something about this and it's it's taken a life of its own i'm, I'm like you said at the beginning of this interview it's like i'm on a completely different purpose in life and i'm loving it, it has this has this done something in terms of what you would like to see? I mean, what would you like to do in the future? Is this an area that you could see yourself being active in? Sure, as... either lobbying, becoming yeah. a lobbyist for things like, you know, I really have a ton of love and affinity for elderly. I now that, you know, that I've seen what goes on with them and the elder abuse and what is happening, financial elder abuse, uh, physical elder abuse, it's, it's, the crimes are just swept under the rug. You know, there's there's not there's not enough... I guess, um, manpower, like APS, Adult Protective Services, is overwhelmed. So they take the worst of the worst cases, <sighs> you know? And, and then the same with the police. They're not, you know, a lot of them aren't trained on what elder abuse is. And when my stepmother took my father, unplugged his feeding tube, undid his IVs, threw him in the back of a car, they said, well, it's his wife. He, she's allowed to do that. No, she's not allowed to abuse her husband. And put a life in jeopardy. This is she. Yeah. This is not. It's not her property. It's not a dog. Right. Right. She is going to kill him. And I said this over and over to the cops who did nothing because they didn't know what elder abuse was. Right. They well, no, no. It's you know that that's his wife. So what if it's his wife? Just because I'm married to somebody, I can try and kill them. <laughs> so can you get Casey's body back? Can you get him back? We're working on it. Um, He's in Norway now. Yeah, we've sent letters. We've sent letters from, you know, people that, you know, knew my father, people that um, his bodyguard, Mike Kerb, like I was saying, that, you know, knew where my dad wanted to be buried. Um, Do you know where he's buried now? He's not buried. He's, it's, uh, God, Yeah, no, what? what? Unbelievable. Something sane and rational? My dad's uh. not buried. No. Uh-uh. It's disgusting. It's sickening. It's disrespectful. It's pure evil. And that is what we've dealt with for 34 years. And my dad had to take the brunt of this. And I've, uh, I don't know how he, he made it this long. Let's, 
I, I wish you nothing but the best. And KasemKarasFoundation.org is where people need to go. Let's end, though, if we can, on a positive note. Yes, and here's a positive. If you're going through the same situation, you're being blocked from a loved one, please write me. Because the more letters I get, the more apt it's, you know, it is to pass and to get these, this law passed. This, just from a pure common sense standpoint, I think this has to become reality. I mean, it just does. I mean, when, when people started to hear the story, and, and kudos to go to you with the kind of effort you went through and, and knowing the kind of backlash that there can be in something ridiculous that's going like through, you know, having to go through this, good for you to sticking to it because it does bring to light something that people just didn't realize until they have to go through it. That's right. And then don't have the power to do anything that's about it. That's right. And, yeah. um, how... When your father passed, you knew that people would respond, but were you as blown away as I was by the nature of the response, of the love that came no, out? No, I, no. You I knew wasn't. that would happen. Yeah. He, he has touched so many lives. I mean, he, people grew up with him, and, and I would get letters saying, you know, I, I never met your father, but I felt like I knew him my whole childhood. You know, I, I, my, the reason I'm in radio is because of your dad. I can't how many, so many times I've heard that. And so, I think one of the things that struck me is that it wasn't, it was more than just, for, like for major artists like Elton, I mean, I, I, I cite three because they, they are across the spectrum. Elton John mm-hmm. did something beautiful. Yeah. B.B. Uh, King. Um, uh, Paul Stanley from Kiss, I believe, kind of oh, didn't uh, see that tweeted one. something prominently. Um, I mean, Justin yeah, Timberlake did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, all, across the board. And the people who were, in, in, you know, who had who had been in his presence or had been with him, they couldn't, to a person, had to mention his kindness and the humble nature of how he presented himself, um, just what a genuine person he was. That's right. And you hear that from people who knew him, from people who just met him, from people like me who just worked with him for a, this kind of brief period of time. Um, when people asked me, you know, what was he like when you guys worked together? And that's, that was the, the only thing other than the fact that he was just such a pro and mm-hmm. had that work ethic that you were talking about and you saw it in his, in his job, but just what a genuine and, and pleasant and, and caring soul that he was. He really loved people. Yeah. He really, really loved people and he cared about them. And, uh, you know, it's funny cause he married the absolute opposite of who he was. The absolute opposite. And I don't want to get down again, but he it's like he was such a good, loving man, like you said. And so, I mean, the charity work he did, the humanitarian work that he he did, you know, I don't want to I don't want people to forget that. A lot of people don't know. He took a stand on a lot of things that were not popular issues at yep, the time. He sure did. Um and and could have heard him and didn't. No. I mean, people he, he people respected his opinion, and he was very intelligent about it. He too. would always say, "You have to stand for something, or you'll fall for anything." That was one of his quotes. He loved quotes. I love that. I think that's because uh, I would never deign myself worthy to say his catchphrase. So that, I think that's a great one to <laughs> yeah. end on. Good luck with everything, Carrie, and we'll certainly update people as that goes along. And again, it's Kasem cares. That's Kasem with a K. Yes. Because people have been messing that up yes, for years. Yes, they have. <laughs> K-A-S-E-M cares foundation.org. Good luck with that. Thank you so much for talking. Thank you, Larry. Get a monkey.
get a monkey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.